0: You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation, the financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, FinTech, and much more. Enjoy this episode.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new Toronto Centre podcast. Uh, First, let me introduce myself. My name is Jean Lorrain, and I'm the Securities Advisory Board Chair of the Toronto Centre. I'm happy to have with me today, Mr. Rodrigo Buenaventura, who is actually serving as chair of the Spain National Commission of Capital Markets, or the Spanish acronym CNMV, since 2020. He is also chairing the ESMA Markets Standing Committee and the IOSCO Sustainable Finance Task Force since 2022. Rodrigo graduated in economics at the Universidad Autónoma de Madrid and from 1993 to nine, 2004 acted as a financial consultant at a leading private uh, uh, Spanish consulting company called AFI where he also became a partner of the firm and a member of the executive committee. He then joined the CNMV in 2005 and was head of the International Affairs Department and then the Secondary Markets Department up to 2011. From 2011 to 2017, he was the first head of markets at the new, newly created European Securities and Markets Authority called YET-ASMA, in charge of policy on post trading secondary markets, market data, and market conduct. During that period, he contributed to the build-up of the organization and led the team that undertook the drafting and consultation of technical standards under many EU regulations enacted after the grand financial crisis. Back at the CNMV, he was then uh, nominated Director General for Markets and acted as such from 2017 to 2020 before becoming chairman. Dear Rodrigo, it is a real pleasure to have you with us today, and we thank you for accepting to talk to us about IOSCO's ESG ongoing initiatives. Maybe a first question uh, to set the ground, uh, Rodrigo. We're talking about uh, ESG. Uh, the planet is under fire. Climate is really becoming a real uh, live issue for, for all countries concerned. And, and as you chair the Task Force on Sustainability, you've been mandated to oversee efforts relating to sustaini- sustainability disclosure. The task force participated to the International Sustainability Standards Board, the ISSB, Uh, which efforts is uh, on developing new standards to improve the completeness, consistency, and comparability of sustainability reporting. The ISSB announced in late June the finalization of the first two sets of standards called IFRS S1 and S2. Uh, And these standards have been formally endorsed on July 25th by IOSCO. Can you tell us more about the nature of these two new standards, their importance and potential impact?
0: Well, thank you, Jean. I'm uh, really delighted to, to be here with, with you, and uh, especially in this uh, important week, because as you said, uh, the day before yesterday, uh, we endorsed uh, from IOSCO these new international standards uh, produced by the ISSB. So it's really... a Kind of a landmark uh, time for for uh, sustainability reporting worldwide. Uh, so I think it's a very timely topic, definitely for for financial markets and and for the planet as a whole, as you said. And um, well, uh, maybe b- before before diving into the, the question about the uh, the nature of the standards and the impact, let me uh, wrap up the, the context of these new uh, development and from where Ioskoff is coming from. You know? We became active as, as an international organization of uh, security regulators uh, around 2020 with this matter. And um, in uh, 2021, 20, uh, early 2021 in February, we called for the development of a new sustainability standards board at international level. We called for it, let's say from the regulators uh, side with the idea of developing this common language in which uh, issuers from around the world could report on sustainability matters and uh, that board was created precisely was announced in the COP 26 you not I'm not wrong uh, uh, November 2021 of the same year in COP 27 the board already the new board the ISSB already uh, consulted on the new standards in a matter of one year which is a very short a time frame, if you take into account the, the dimension of the project, and we have, uh, as you uh, rightly said, we have just had the publication of these new standards, the S1 and S2, and uh, the endorsement by IOSCO, uh, therefore by the supervisors of securities markets, of those standards as, you know, considering those standards the right uh, global framework uh, to support uh, sustainability uh, matters disclosure by issuers so it's a very uh, meaningful project and uh, uh, IOSCO uh, got involved in sustainability as I said around 2020 three years ago on three uh, avenues and I will quickly go to your question and concentrate on the, on the nature of the standards one was precisely on disclosure for issuers the other one is on some considerations for asset managers and ESG ratings uh, agencies to avoid greenwashing and the third one is uh, on carbon markets. But the first one and the most important one so far is indeed the one on disclosure by issuers because they form kind of the basis, uh, the structure of uh, information for the financial community outside, uh, be it in private investors, be it asset managers and the like. So on, on this matter, the nature of the standards are standards that are meant as, as that reference so that particular jurisdictions and countries around the world can either adopt them as such, or can build their own national standards or regional standards based on this global baseline, or they can allow that for voluntary use of issuers. So in other words, they are not as such mandatory standards, because the standard is like a proposal from the ISSB and you know supported by Iosco, but then it is left to the discretion of each jurisdiction, each country, each region in the world, each province depends on on the configuration of each uh, of each country, to decide whether to make that compulsory or not in their territory. The good part of this is that we have a common standard, and therefore, for those countries or regions in the world that go ahead and require that their issuers comply with this standard, the similarity will be so high that we will be achieving a de facto single reporting regime, let's say, internationally, which I think is the beauty of, of this project. So in ter- that's in terms of the nature of, of it. it. To a certain extent, if you want, it's very similar to the international standards on financial reporting, which are you know, a reference established by an international standard setter and then each country or region decides whether to incorporate those IFRS or not. But at least we have a common language that is really global. And in terms of the impact, well, these, these standards probably maybe is, is worth underlining certain features. One of those, one of those features is that these standards allow companies and investors to have a single global framework of sustainability disclosures, which is what I just uh, described, which is the the main attractive of of this idea. The second is that that these standards uh, concentrate on what is material, what is proportionate, what is decision useful for investors. That's their main characteristic is these are standards mainly thought for investors to be able to price or to take decisions on the impacts of climate change on those issues in terms of risks and opportunities for those issues. It's not everything that investors need, but it's a very important component of what they need in order to make their investment decisions. And then the third uh, element is that from the start, we looked for a very close link between the sustainability standards and the sustainability reporting and the financial reporting in general, so that they are coherent, they can work together, and they are let's say consistent between each other because it's very important that financial reports and non-financial reports they follow a logic that is at at least coherent and consistent and then one uh, final element that i think is really important especially for uh, developing countries and not so liquid markets which is that the issb together with the standards published one month ago what is called the adoption guidance or some description of the future adoption guidance that in a nutshell is describing what is expected from jurisdictions and countries when adopting these standards and incorporating them in their national law, to which companies they are expected to be applied, for instance, not to SMEs, clearly for more complex and you know larger organizations, to which kind of markets. So it's describing what are the expectations for the adoption at country level, at jurisdiction level, of these standards, which is a very important component, because we have ahead of us, uh, you know, I wouldn't say a long road, but uh, a, a number of elements that we need to still, you know, uh, nail down, like capacity building, like digitalization of these uh, information assurance. Probably we will be able to to talk about that uh, later.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Rodrigo. Uh, I'm somewhat, um, I would say, uh, concerned or taken by the notion that these will not be mandatory, as you've mentioned. And I'm thinking about uh, recent uh, developments, uh, for example, in the U.S. and the United States. The SEC's March 2022 announcement and Standardization of Climate-Related Disclosure for Investors was released. Uh, Which focuses on the protection of investors in publicly traded companies in the US. It applies, in fact, to all SEC registrants, including foreign private uh, issuers. So it seems to be capturing a lot uh, of market related uh, entities. In Europe, uh, the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group, EFRAG, released guidance in April of 2022 on a range of sustainability related disclosure requirements seems to me that there are some initiatives in certain region or certain countries, even in advance of the new IFRS or the new ISSB standards. What is the impact of those initiatives when you think of tr- trying to harmonize as much as possible disclosure related to sustainability in that context? What are the impacts of such initiatives?
0: Well, indeed, this has been a... I would say, a high-activity area internationally in the last uh, two, three years. And clearly, some areas of the world, some regions, some jurisdictions, like the European Union, went ahead already early on by developing their own concept and standards for distorts by issuers. And the U.S. has done that more recently, in 2022. Well, I would say, first... The, the concept that we use when referring to these in, in IOSCO is the idea of interoperability of standards. So we have a global baseline, which is the one that IOSCO has endorsed, and there are some regional initiatives, like the ones that you described, either regional in the case of the EU, national in the case of the US, in different degrees of advancement. Paradoxically, although the uh, ISSB standards started later than the European ones, they have been finalized a few months before the European ones are finalized, because the Commission, European Commission still needs to adopt them. So it has been a very fast pace at international level, and, and I think that has been conscious in order to have, as soon as possible, some international reference, to which we could have some convergence. So probably in the case of the US, the situation is a bit different, because there was, a, at a certain point in time, like three, four years ago, a certain mismatch in terms of how strong the political support to sustainability matters was in Europe and in the U.S. That is probably no longer the case, but probably that explains why, uh, you know, there was a different pace of development of standards in in both sides of the Atlantic, to say so. In the case of the European Union standards, there has been a very, very strong engagement between uh, the ISSB and uh, a specific uh, a group that the ISSB constituted is called like something of the, the the jurisdictional working group, which is a way of saying that the ISSB has been liaising with other jurisdictions, and particularly with uh, European and Asian jurisdictions mainly, not only, to try to have as much interoperability as possible. And by interoperability, what I mean is that when two standards, like the ISSB standards and the uh, European ones, overlap. uh, There is a common area that they, they cover, they regulate, they address, let's say, in those overlaps, to ensure that issuers, when reporting under one of them, also comply with the other standard, so that they don't need to double report, which is the basic objective, and that investors, the receivers of the information, when they read a publication of a European company on those matters, and they know that it's been done according to the European standards, they know that those are also compliant with international ones. Now, since we don't have yet the standards finalized in Europe, we cannot assure that there will be such interoperability, but there has been a lot of engagement, as I said, a lot of political and uh, institutional will on both sides uh uh, to try to converge and i'm kind of optimistic uh, uh, maybe by nature but i'm optimistic on the fact that we will have a very very high degree of interoperability between international and the european ones taking also into account that we recognize that the international standards cover only you know a general sustainability what i would call mother standard because it's it's like an umbrella and a particular one on climate but just on climate. And the European standards are way wider than that. They cover climate, but they also cover biodiversity, water, circular economy, and you name it. So that overlap is only on climate matters. but probably is the most uh, urgent problem, as, as you said in the introduction. And I am confident that we will be uh, you know, able to, to reach a very high degree of interoperability in this case.
1: Not wanting to put the U.S. too much on on, on the spot here, but is is the um, conclusion the same with the U.S. proposal?
0: Well, the the U.S. proposal, I would say, is in a different stage, because there was a consultation by the SEC uh, with a lot of replies to that consultation, and we still or they they still don't have in the U.S. like a a final rule you know pending adoption like in the EU so it's more it's more difficult to judge that degree of of, of possible interoperability in the case of the US again uh, I would hope that since the basis for a lot of the work was you know building on previous efforts like TCFD and other initiatives there is a there is a chance or a hope for a high degree of of compatibility but since we are in a different stage it is is more difficult to arrive to a conclusion in this case
1: so it is, it is uh, something to see in the future, uh, hopefully uh, positively. That being said, because the new standards are not necessarily mandatory, and even with the acknowledgement of IOSCO about their existence, uh, isn't there a risk for other countries to take regulatory actions that are not necessarily in harmony with the, the new standards? I, I know that you said that you, the pressure or the peer pressure of all the international uh, standards is the same with the IFRS, uh, and you will see implementation that could be harmonized, but isn't there a risk of disharmony, if I can use this, this expression?
0: I would like to think that, that the risk has diminished significantly since we have these standards. Uh, if, if you allow me the comparison, uh, it is true that the IFRS, uh in the in the financial reporting side was born when there was certain set of uh, you know uh, uh, national accounting practices yeah? uh, gaps let's say but i would say that it, it is also true that since the, the birth of the ifrs we haven't had you know many other new national you know initiatives to to cover that aspect it was the pre ifrs or the IFRS, what we have now currently. So I would tend to think that with the birth of the ISSB standards, of course, you might have preceding or simultaneous national initiatives that might coexist. But it is kind of hard for me to conceive a situation in which we have a myriad of completely brand new National initiatives that have nothing to do with the with the ISSB because it has already set a certain bar a certain reference. I think also and maybe I'm, I'm putting too much uh, importance on the endorsement by IOSCO, but I think the the message of of IOSCO saying we endorse we call we call on members, which is what IOSCO has said, we call on members, uh, which is uh, you know the regulators of practically all the financial markets in the world to adopt these standards or be informed by these standards when they develop their national standards is a very powerful message and I would say that there is also more than a peer pressure there is also a healthy let's say incentive for issuers to demand to the regulators you know allow us to do single reporting because many issuers are active internationally and if they have to you know reporting three or four or five different standards it will be costly for them it will be resources that actually are not uh, you know producing a special value for society as a whole so i hope that there is there is also this will of investors and issuers to support the idea of standardization at, at global level mm, so I, I i would think that that the risk of divergence is quite uh, muted after these, we, we have had this uh, publication and this endorsement. But let me just uh, uh, elaborate on one thing very briefly. It is also important to, to to take into account that in in some jurisdictions there will be not just a complete uh, adoption of the international standards, but a kind of a translation of those international standards into a national standard with a branding and a governance that is national or regional. But that technically and in content-wise is replicating line by line the international standards. So uh, some jurisdictions, I think that uh, some ideas in Canada were around that, the, of creating, you know, uh, a standards board at national or provincial level, but that would basically build on the international standards so that you would have that de facto compatibility, interoperability, the way you want to call it, even though you uh, keep the uh, you know decision power and the governance at national level, for me that is absolutely fine because what we are looking for is actual compatibility and recognizability. That word exists in English. I don't know of the standards internationally, uh, which I think is met and achieved by having that that global baseline.
1: Very positive, then. Uh, very interesting, also. The new standards address sustainability in a large frame. S- S1 is, is a, about all this. Climate on S2 is really more specific. Are there new standards that we can expect coming into, into force or being implemented by the ISSB in the short frame?
0: Absolutely. Uh, the ISSB uh, has precisely launched... I think it was late spring that they did that, uh, or early summer, uh, northern hemisphere I'm, I'm referring to. They have launched a consultation you know, asking for views on which should be the next steps, whether the ISSB should develop the, let's say, S3, S4 and, and, and the like, based on uh, things like uh, water or biodiversity or, or, or some other uh, topics of, of interest within the sustainability, let's say, area. And uh, I would be expecting the ASB to, to start working on, on further standards when they have gathered that evidence, that input uh, from, from the market participants and from the users, indeed.
1: Okay. The 2023-2024 IOSCO work plan mentions that the task force will continue working on promoting independent assurance of corporate sustainability disclosures. IOSCO board's chairman, Uh, Jean-Paul Servet commented on the relevance of developing a high-quality, sustainable assurance framework, which would be an important component to contribute to underpinning high-quality, consistent, and reliable sustainability-related information. In fact, just today, a press release was made about uh, assurance uh, in that that area. Uh, I'd like to hear you about about this initiative, in fact, and how this can interact positively in the context of climate reporting and sustainability reporting overall.
0: Well, this is a truly important uh, aspect of all this because if we don't have mechanisms to ensure that the information is accurate and has been built appropriately and that corresponds to reality, the credibility of this type of information would be significantly uh, damaged. And uh, therefore, the assurance of, of uh, sustainability reports, to put it shortly, is a key element for the whole system to work uh, correctly. So, what IOSCO did is in June, June 2021, we published a report calling for, well, pointing out the relevance of the assurance of uh, this type of information. And uh, through 2022, IOSCO gathered a lot of input and feedback from stakeholders like investors, insurers, audit, uh, and assurance providers, uh, and we engaged very actively with the two key standard setters on this, which is the IAASB, so the International Auditing uh, and Assurance Standards Board, and the IESBA, ESBA, which is the International uh, Ethics Standard Board for Accountants. Now. When uh, we uh, spotted the, the, the relevance of these, uh, I think it was also matched by a very uh, very responsive attitude from those organizations to start working on, on these. Of course, this follows a bit in terms of calendar, the development of the standards themselves. First, you need to have clarity on what the standards say, and then you can work more intensely on how to do uh, guidelines and principles and rules for the providers of assurance. So in March of this year, March 2023, IOSCO published a report on what was our vision for what needed to be improved in the sustainability assurance uh, space. It's a a report on uh, international work to develop a global assurance framework for this type of sustainability-related reporting. And you can find that, of course, in the IOSCO uh, website. This report is, is summarizing what we think should be uh, you know, strengthened, which is the idea of having profession agnostic standards so that work both for auditors or for other companies that provide assurance services that in several areas and regions of the world have more or less importance depending on culture and, and you know market circumstances. The second one is the fundamental uh, timeliness of these standards. We need to have these standards before the issuers start to report in 2025, their 2024 figures. So that is the key date. And before that, we need to have these standards on assurance completed so that assurance providers can operate under them. And uh, that uh, we uh, increase gradually the level of uh, ambition of these standards with the ultimate goal of having reasonable assurance of this type of reporting. Maybe, of course, we will need to start having only limited assurance, uh, uh, um, let's say uh, stated uh, from the assurance provider because the internal controls in organizations are not, not yet ripe enough for these, but the level of ambition is to have reasonable assurance in the, in the medium term. And the, and the last, uh, the fourth element that IOSCO call, uh, called for was, to ensure the connectivity of the assurance services for financial and, and again, non-financial uh, reporting. So that there is a logic there and there is some mm-hmm. consistency there. Um, so uh, as I said, uh, I, both IWSB and the ESBA have been extremely reactive and extremely uh, enthusiastic about uh, developing work on these because they see the importance of, of these new work. So IWSB. Um, uh, announced a consultation that will be open until December on a brand new set of standards. This is the ISA 5000 and ESBA on ethics has also announced there will be a consultation. So we plan to continue to have a strong engagement with these two bodies and uh, to establish that pathway towards you know financial and non-financial reporting subject to coherent assurance framework that can give Confidence and trust to the investing community.
1: Thank you. There are so many subjects that we can talk about, and uh, we always have limited time to do so. And that will be probably an opportunity to invite you back and try to discuss those uh, upcoming issues. You chair the task force on sustainability. Uh, climate is certainly one important aspect of it. Uh, I know that assurance, as you just mentioned, is also central to what uh, IOSCO is trying to achieve through your task force. Are there any other subjects that uh, are, are people the people listening to this podcast would be really uh, interested in learning about?
0: Sure, maybe I, 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 could, I could point out uh, two of them very briefly. Uh, one of them is to, uh, transition, uh, transition plans in general. Which are increasingly important uh, companies that are announcing their transition plans, and we need some order in that, let's say, uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to judge that uh, uh, from the investor point of view. The other one is clearly uh, carbon markets. So, IOSCO issued a report last November on compliance carbon markets, make those systems that are based on the cap and trade approach. Uh, emission allowances like the one uh, that is operating currently in the European Union, in California, and I think in Montreal, if, if I'm not wrong. Uh, but clearly the attention is on voluntary carbon credits or voluntary carbon markets. The certificates about uh, capture or compensation of carbon that others can use to meet their targets. That is an increasingly active market, a lot of complexity, lack of uh, rules so far because it's an nascent market. And IOSCO aims at developing some recommendations for carbon credits, for voluntary carbon markets in a manner that we can export, let's say to those markets, the financial integrity principles and rules that we have been working on in financial markets for a number of decades, which will improve the credibility and the orderly trading, let's say, of those markets, to our mind, will allow the development of those markets in a more sound and, and stable manner. That will clearly, if, if I had to summarize the coming months, it would be, in terms of the, the EOSCO perspective and the EOSCO work, would be the implementation of the issuer reporting for uh, climate, as I mentioned before, and the other star, let's say, of our work program would be the development of recommendations for voluntary carbon credits.
1: Well, let me go. On behalf of the Toronto Centre, I would like to thank you for participating in this podcast. I think uh, your um, your answers and, and development on the questions are are really interesting, and I think that our audience will be gaining a lot of information and, and knowledge out of it. So thank you again, and uh, hopefully we can uh, do another one uh, quite soon with further developments.
0: Well, it's it's been a pleasure, Jean, and thank you for the opportunity and hope the It's been uh, useful for our listeners and, of course, delighted to do a part two if there is demand for that.
1: (laughs) Thank you.